Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. When you look at the statistics for breast cancer deaths around the world, it's horrific. Nearly half a million women die of breast cancer worldwide. In the United States and Canada, breast cancer is the second leading cause of death for women, with lung cancer being number one. One woman who is a breast cancer survivor, thanks to cannabis oil, is Barb Philpott of Vernon, British Columbia, and she joins us. Barb, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Barb, tell us your story of being diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. Well, originally, cancer wasn't even in my wheelhouse. There's none on either side of my family. And so when I got a lump, I thought, oh, my gosh, this has got to go away. And I went and I had a mammogram. And yes, it was cancer. And I went to see a surgeon and oncologist and a radiologist. And I listened to them. And I had always said, if I had cancer, I didn't know what I would do. Well, after talking to the three of them, I knew exactly what I would do. I would not take chemo or radiation, but I had no other idea what I would do. And my daughter, who's very much into natural health, told me about Corey, connected me with Corey, and that was pretty much the end of the story. The the minute I got, I did get the lump removed. You underwent surgery? I did undergo surgery, yes. A lumpectomy? uh, It was a lumpectomy, yes. Um, I had everybody scaring me into it. Mm-hmm. except for my daughter. So I went ahead and I said, that's it. I'm not doing any more. And she connected me with Corey. And I started taking the oil right away. And I am now a four-year breast cancer survivor. I, I don't have any of the ill effects my friends have had. I don't have any of the side effects my friends have had. I've only had good things happen to me. Everything's improving because of the oil. That's great. When you told your doctor that you weren't going to undergo chemo or radiation, did they did they offer chemo and radiation to you? My family doctor sent me to the other three doctors, mm-hmm. and I told her I didn't know what I was going to do. And when I came back, I told her I was not taking chemo or radiation. The surgeon... What did she say to you? She didn't say anything. She just smiled. <laughs> she had an idea, then, I think. Right. After I told her what I planned to do, she said, I couldn't tell you before, but I didn't take chemo or radiation either. Oh. So that was very telling. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. She let me make my own decision and then said, good for you. Right on. And that was was your oncologist who said that? No, that was my family doctor. Family doctor. Okay. The surgeon didn't say too much. The oncologist kind of smiled but he he told me he wanted me to weigh my my options opportunity i guess it was yeah but the the radiologist went berserk and he kept telling me how safe it was and i knew hundreds of people who did not have safe radiation and i just didn't trust him yeah he was uh it was a hard sell for him wasn't it very hard (laughs) the thing is too when i when i chose to go with the cannabis oil i lost all privileges at the Alberta Cancer Center. 
I did not have any counseling. I didn't have anything because I did not go the route they wanted me to go. So you were blacklisted, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. And then when I went back wow. for my year checkup, the surgeon walked in. He said, you're cancer-free, and he walked out of the room. Oh, very flippant about the whole thing. Yeah, very much so. What do your friends and family say? I know your daughter is probably supportive, but what do other people say to you, uh, Barb, who know that you had breast cancer, but you did not undertake conventional medical treatment? They tend to ignore me. Uh, it's kind of funny. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. And I, even the, my friends that have cancer, I, I get so frustrated with them because they just won't listen because they're so caught up in the fear and naming the label of the cancer that they've got and all the various things go with it. And, I mean, they're, to me, they're just drawing the cancer right into themselves. And mm-hmm. one says she's in remission, and I say, no, you're cancer-free. Mm-hmm. And she's not in remission. <laughs> I thought, well, what can I say? In talking to people about their various ailments, and uh, they have a reluctance to use cannabis oil, Corey, we, you and I have talked about this privately. Some people become their disease. Their disease is their crutch. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Someone says, well, I'm a cancer survivor, or I am a can- cancer victim. Victim. That's right. A victim. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. I do I too. Yeah, it's a cancer victim. So, Barb, when you started on cannabis oil, when you were actually going through having breast cancer and using the cannabis oil, what was the reaction of your family and friends? My Both my daughters were very supportive. <laughs> my husband just said nothing. He, so I guess he sort, sort of supported it. but In a own quiet afraid. way, hey? Yeah, he was afraid also that I was sure. doing the wrong thing. Sure. And all my friends just did not support it. Did they say anything to you? Some asked me, did I know what I was doing? Uh-huh. I thought, well, yeah, I do. And some said, well, that's not what I would do. You know, they just, they just were not supportive. Do you, like, think, that's, would, do you think that's out of ignorance or of what cannabis oil is about or out of fear or a combination fear. of both? Fear. 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 Yeah. Fear of the law. Like, I, I mm-hmm. ended up sending some oil to one of my friends that had breast cancer. And she was terrified, trying to find a hiding place in her house. The police couldn't find it. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she ended up never taking it because she was afraid that somebody might find out. That's sad. Yeah, and in, sad. and in fairness to to the public, we mm-hmm. have been uh, demonized over the last uh, nearly 80 years, since 1937, that somehow cannabis is this uh, reefer madness drug that is going to poison us and make us do all sorts of various things that we wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Uh, you know, unbeknownst to most people, the cannabis has been used for thousands of years. There is not one documented case of anyone overdosing on cannabis because apparently I read you can't do it. It's impossible. Well, I, have, I haven't been able to do it. Do you still take cannabis uh, oil, Barb? I do. I take it as a preventative, um, mm. I, sometimes three times a week, some nights, every night. I also sleep better when I'm using it, and my blood sugars are more normal, and so is my blood pressure more normal when I take it. So I do take it at least three times a week. Three times a week. Yeah. So, Barb, when you were going through uh, treating yourself for cancer with the oil, how much did you take a day, and how long did it take for you to become labeled cancer-free? I was cancer-free the minute I took the first drop of oil. There you go. At least in your own mind, you were cancer-free, right? In my own mind, I was. I knew nothing about cannabis. I, 
never even saw it when I was growing up. I knew nothing about it. I just knew that my daughter believed in it and Corey believed in it and I believed in both of them. Interesting. How much did you take, Barb? Um, I started off with a quarter of a grain of rice, uh, I think for four days, and then I kept increasing it by a quarter until I was up to four grains of rice. I don't know if that's what I was supposed to do, but that's what I did. And I took that for at least a year. And then I was out of the country for a few months and couldn't take it. And I got really afraid. And the fear started to set in again that maybe I didn't get it. So as soon as I got home, I started up on it again and felt comfortable from that point on. Now, did during this t- uh, period, did you always have that lump still there? No, I, do, I don't believe so. Um, they, they did remove 20 of my lymph nodes, which really annoyed me because I had said, don't touch my lymph nodes. Mm. And they, they removed 20 and told me there was cancer in one of them. And I said, was it a live cell or a dead cell? And they didn't know. And I, you know, I mean, Yikes. they ruined my arm, but I didn't have it in writing, so there's nothing I can do about it. And I don't want to deal with them ever again, anyhow. By taking cannabis oil as a preventative, <laughs> and you say it helps you sleep better, and mm-hmm. uh, it helps with your uh, blood pressure and blood sugars. And pardon me. And blood sugars. And blood sugars, correct? Yeah. So is there anything else that you find that you are somehow a little different, maybe even a little better as a result of taking cannabis oil? I have less pain. And like I had back surgery several years before the cancers, and I certainly have less pain. I don't take enough of it to make the pain go totally away, I don't believe. When I do take it every day, I have less pain. If I do it three times a week, the pain starts to seep back in. Yeah, probably because when you're doing it a couple times a week, you've got that um, cannabinoid level fluctuating in your system versus if right. you're nailing it every yeah. 24 hours. There is, uh, it's a hormone issue, apparently. About 80% of all breast cancers are what they term ER positive, and that means the cancer cells grow in response to the hormone estrogen. And of uh-huh. those, about 65% of these are also PR positive. They grow in response to another hormone, progesterone. It says, if your breast cancer has a significant number of receptors for either estrogen or progesterone, it's considered hormone receptor positive. And that was from the cancer, no, that was from uh, WebMD. Do you know if your cancer was uh, hormone driven? I think it must have been because uh, they wanted to know what supplements I was on and made me get off anything that had estrogen in it. Interesting. So one of the big things that's going on right now in treating women with breast cancer with cannabis oil is this. For the longest time, anybody who had breast cancer, we would give or recommend everybody take high THC. Then Mm -hmm. there became a question as to whether or not THC in some cases, particularly with hormone-driven breast cancers I'm talking about, um, would actually push the cancer. So then CBD became the new kid on the block. And there was a study out of San Francisco with metastatic breast cancer that showed that, you know, CBD was what um, hormone-driven or hormone-receptor-driven breast cancer should be taking. For the last year, basically, I think that's been the recommendation as high CBD. Speaking just for myself, I can't speak for everybody else, of every single case of hormone-driven breast cancer that I've dealt with where the woman has done just CBD, it hasn't worked. 
I use THC. THC, exactly. So, you know, I'm wondering if when we're talking about the hormone-driven breast cancer, um, I believe the latest mode of thinking is this. You need 50-50, high THC, high CBD. I mean, I, you know, it's it's still a crapshoot because we don't have the studies that show, you know, how much for this, how much for that. Right. And I think it, it depends the quality of oil you get and where Absolutely. you get it. The quality of the oil makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to a poor soul the other day that was using an oil, couldn't figure out why it wasn't working, and it was something like 7% THC. Oh and I'm like, oh my God, no wonder it's not working. Well, well, one of the reasons I moved to BC was so I could legally obtain the oil because I really had a problem. When I lived in Alberta trying to find it and getting it sent to me through the mail, and I was really worried about that. And of course, yeah. I came here and I still had to get a medical marijuana license. But what really annoyed me is I, in order to activate the license, I had to order from the Canadian government dispensary. Mm-hmm. I got from them for $250 exactly what I got at the dispensary in town here for 62 Well, that's a huge difference. A huge difference. But you're supporting your country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Barb, what was uh, what was it like in uh, because I, the reason I asked this question is we've uh, we get occasionally get uh, emails from people in Alberta who want to know how to obtain uh, cannabis oil in Alberta. Is it much more difficult there than it is here in British Columbia? I found it very difficult. I got mine from the East Coast. Yeah, we talked to uh, Kelly Shada uh, about a week ago with respect to, remember she had uh, Crohn's, Crohn's disease? In, living in Saskatchewan. Yeah, in Regina. And she uh, has her opened her own dispensary in August, and she gets her product from British Columbia. Yeah, and mm-hmm. when we when we interviewed uh, Mandy Drew with Little Cheyenne, um, she talked about wanting to move to British Columbia because it's so hard to source in Alberta. That's right. So we have to get well, those we have to get those cowboys on board. Yeah. <laughs> the dispensary that I go to, uh, there's a a girl that works there that is a pharmacist assistant, and she is very very helpful in in what you should look for and and what to watch for and. She'll take whatever time you need to talk to you about whatever you're purchasing. Yeah, interesting. Barb, so when you uh, did the oil, just for the sake of our listeners who who often want to know details, did, mm-hmm. how many times a day did you do it? Four times. Four times a day. So you would do it, what, every six hours or so? or uh, When I got up at noon, at four o'clock in the afternoon and before I went to bed. And did you do it all, all orally or did you do some by suppository? I didn't know about suppository, so I did it orally. Orally, okay. Uh, I wasn't that educated when I started taking it. Yeah. Uh, and actually, first week, I did get high. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I didn't like the feeling at all. Right. But once my body got used to it, there was no high at all. Well, you know what Joss says. Do you want to get high or do you want to die? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, prefer- you prefer the high, I would, would think, I eh? prefer the high. Yeah. yeah. Um, how much do you think you got up to taking a day? You, you were talking um, earlier about four grains of rice size. Is that what, mm-hmm. how much you got up to taking a day? No, four times a day. Four times a day you would do the four gra- four grains of rice. Okay, yeah. so that's easily a gram a day then, yeah. Boy, you're a lot better than I am, Barb. 
<laughs> um, Ian took uh, Ian took a uh, a dose of cannabis oil, and uh, he didn't listen to me. The very first time I took it, Barb, and I've I've told this story uh, t- so listeners, I don't want to bore listeners, but I was told to take size of a half a grain of rice. Right. So I took it. And an hour later, I said, I don't feel anything. I should take some more. So uh, I took some more, which was the size of a grain of rice. And uh, I've regretted it ever since. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I, I'm like you. The, the high was uh, not something that I want to experience again. But you know what? Yeah. If I was in a situation like you or many other people, uh, which is a life and death situation, I would do that every day. If I knew yeah. that it would eradicate the health issue that I had. Exactly. And I did that for two and a half years before I started cutting back. So the very first uh, dose you took, you got high. If you took that... Well, Sorry? I wasn't in control. I didn't feel like I was in control of my own mouth. <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't portray what was coming out of my mouth that was in my head. And I, I felt stupid, and I really didn't like that feeling at all. I'm not in control of my mouth some of the time, too, Barb. <laughs> <I knew that. laughs> you, should, you should become a politician. <laughs> I still so you, you had trouble. If you took the same amount today that you took the very first time, would it make a difference in terms of how you felt? Would, would you feel high? I have no idea. I, I mean, I don't even measure it when I take it. I just squeeze it till it quits coming out. And I'd say sometimes there's more than four grains of rice. Sometimes there's less. Sometimes it's up to six because mm-hmm. it keeps seeping out of the tube. So mm-hmm. I think I'm not going to waste it. So I take it. Yeah. And I think, you know, now obviously you're comfortable with it, right? It's not when, yeah. like when you first started taking it. And, you know, I keep trying to tell people this isn't an exact science. So, you know, no. don't worry if it's a little bit more or a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just felt you had to, you know, get it into your system till you learned what your tolerance was and yes. then go from there. Yeah. So did you have a sense in your body of when this started to turn around? Do, like, were you feeling different at some level? I would say within about three months, I felt like I was cancer-free. Interesting. Because, you know, it was the same with me, but I, I, keeping in mind there was nothing out there, no Facebook groups or anything back then. And I hadn't got up to the gram a day, so I was convinced, even though I felt like it was gone, that it was still there. I mean, in hindsight, it probably was gone way back when. So interesting, at the three-month mark, that's when you felt that. Let me ask, yeah. let me ask the two of you, when you say you felt it was gone, what? explain that. I don't quite understand. Kind of, for myself, it was just this, um, almost an intuitive thing. Okay. Just like, I just knew just like when exactly. I was checking out cannabis oil, I just knew if anything was going to save my life, this was it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's almost like a sixth um, sense or something. It is. And the thing is, when I talk to other people and try and talk them up, to them about the oil, when they start bringing up all their fears, some of them start seeping in. And I think, oh, I'm going to go home and get some oil real quick. <laughs> you know, because I don't want their fear. No. No, that's right. Yeah, we uh, we talked to Erin uh, Purchase about her daughter, daughter Michaela, and Brave Michaela. Brave Michaela had leukemia, and she says she doesn't. Uh, was it Erin that said that she doesn't talk about that because she doesn't want the the child to 
assume the... No, that was Mandy. That said she doesn't Mandy, talk, Mandy talk to him, Cheyenne about it. Little right. Cheyenne, who's four Going to school old. next year. Yeah, just yeah. starting school, yeah. Doesn't want, to, doesn't want her to think about the disease. Yeah, because it's like giving it power. Yeah, exactly. You know, that whole what you fear most will happen. You that's, know, putting, pouring all your energy into something negative. That's right. Do you feel that way, Barb? I really very strongly feel that way. To me right now, cancer is just a non-issue. It's not in my body. It's not going to be come back into my body. And if it dares to even try, I'll be ready. How does your husband feel about it now? Uh, I don't know. Um, he's not very, doesn't talk about it very much, but he doesn't, he doesn't seem to bother that I use it. And actually, he was starting to use it. He was diagnosed with epilepsy. And he's borders on taking the oil, then taking the meds. He can't let go of the meds yet. He can't let go of that fear that if he doesn't take his meds, he'll mm. have a seizure. Can't quite go there So yet. let's wait. Yeah. He'll eventually come around. And and your your daughter, does your daughter take uh, cannabis, cannabis oil at all? Uh, I believe she did, yes. And it's helped her? For what she was using it for, yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, you moved from Alberta to British Columbia, and you live in Vernon, British Columbia now. Is there much of a, a, a cannabis community there? Do you have many dispensaries? Um, I believe there's three. The, the one, I, I just go to the one. I, I know there's a second one, and I think there's a third one in Vernon, but I haven't found it yet. It's pretty common around here. It's not a big deal at all in Vernon. Like I've talked to quite a few people in this area that, it's just not a big deal to them. They're not afraid of the law. They're not afraid of anything else. They just, yeah, if I need it, I'll take it. Barb, what would you say to uh, to, to women who may be listening who are fearful of breast cancer or who have breast cancer and are undecided as to what sort of treatment they should take? Well, I think what I would say is if you go the traditional route with the surgery and the chemo and the radiation, you're going to probably end up with uh, chemo neuropathy for the rest of your life, you're going to, I have not known anyone that's taken radiation that hasn't been burnt. And the, the, the radiologist tells you it's so exact and they don't burn anybody. And yet anyone, every single person I know that's taken radiation has been burnt and it's painful. So I would say, get on the oil, go for three months at least, and then go for a checkup. Yeah. Give it a try <laughs> first. eh? And Corey, yeah. Corey, when uh, you were telling your story, when you were researching radiation and found out what it did, you yeah. decided, "I'm not going." I'm there. not. I'm not going there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Me too. I'm not doing that to my body. I think I, I would have rather died of cancer than taken radiation because I would have died of that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the number of people that pass away from side effects from radiation or chemotherapy, and it's not publicized. No, you know, it, and the other thing I find with people that take chemo for breast cancer, within a year they have cancer somewhere else in their body. Yeah, you know, lung cancer or whatever. Chemo just creates more cancer. It's yeah. it, you know, there's 19 different chemotherapy drugs that practically come with a written guarantee that you will have leukemia within two years. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a very high profile case here in Victoria right now of, uh, with a little girl uh, who has leukemia and Children's Hospital in Vancouver openly admits that she has leukemia as a result of the chemotherapy they gave her. Mm-hmm. And what we'll do at the, at the end of this program, uh, Barb, I want to play a clip from Dr. Peter Glidden in mm-hmm. the United States about the dangers of chemotherapy. And he says 97% of it doesn't work at all, so we'll do that. Barb, it was a pleasure right. to talk to you. It's great that you, you're healthy and cannabis oil helped you. 
Move on I to get your, move on to get your husband on it. <laughs> no, I'm not pushing. He'll do it when he's he'll, ready. Yeah, he'll do it when he's ready. Okay. Thanks, Barb. Appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bye-bye. Barb. Bye. Take, take Bye. good care. Bye bye. As we mentioned in our discussion with Barb, Dr. Peter Glidden is a naturopathic doctor in the United States, and he had some very interesting comments on chemotherapy. He did it in an interview with iHealthTube.com. And so let's listen to see what, uh, in here, what Peter Glidden has to say about chemotherapy. Doctor, when we talk about cancer a little bit, um, various types out there, what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of your patients and what some of the things that you've been able to do? A better thing to talk about in relationship to cancer, well, I will talk about that. A better thing to talk about, however, is the relationship between profits and cancer in the United States. Um, There was a study that was published, I believe it was in 1994. It was a 12-year program, 12-year study. They looked at adults who had developed cancer as an adult, not childhood cancer, but adult cancer, right? And this is the main types of cancer that we get here in the United States. They did a meta-analysis of these people all around the world who developed cancer as adults for 12 years and were treated with chemo. They looked at the results, and they published the results in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. And the results? 97% of the time, chemotherapy does not work. 97% of the time it doesn't work. So why is it still used? One reason and one reason only. Money. If you go to a medical doctor, an MD, with a sinus infection, and that doctor prescribes an antibiotic, he gets no financial kickback. Now, if he prescribes 5,000, you know, of that antibiotic in one month, the drug company that makes it might send him to Cancun for a conference, Right? Mm-hmm. But he gets no direct remuneration. Not with, with chemotherapeutic drugs, it's different. Chemotherapeutic drugs are the only classification of drugs that the prescribing doctor gets a direct cut of. So if your doctor prescribes chemotherapy for you, here's how it goes, more or less. The doctor buys it from the pharmaceutical company for $5,000, sells it to the patient for $12,000, Insurance pays $9,000, and the doctor pockets the $4,000 difference. And there ought to be a law. The only reason chemotherapy is used is because doctors make money from it. Period. It doesn't work 97% of the time. If Ford Motor Company made an automobile that exploded 97% of the time, would they still be in business? No. This is the tip of the iceberg of the control that the pharmaceutical industry has on us. We, most people have no idea of this at all. Now, I wrote a book called The MD Emperor Has No Clothes, right? In my book, I have a bulleted list of ten questions that every cancer patient should ask their doctor. Ten questions. I've had patients kicked out, literally, kicked out of the oncologist's office because the doctor was PO'd that the patient was asking him these questions. And these are just common sense questions. Cancer treatment in the United States, we have lost the war on cancer. We have lost the war on cancer. Why? Because cancer is not a reductionistic phenomenon. 
answer is a holistic phenomenon. When you try to bring a reductionistic methodology like drugs and surgery to bear on a holistic phenomenon, you will completely miss the boat each and every time. You cannot do it. Medical doctors are like colorblind art critics. They can see that that's a boat. They can see the black and white outline, but they're completely blind to all of the colors and textures that make up the substance of the thing. It's no difference with cancer. The reason that people get cancer in the United States and the reason that we have completely lousy outcomes is because medical doctors are driving the research bus. When women get together and do a 5K run for breast cancer, all of that money, do you think any of that money goes to nutritional research? Do you think Mm -hmm. any of that money goes to homeopathic research or acupuncture or traditional Chinese medicine or naturopathic research? No. All of it goes to drugs and surgery, which do not work. Now, why aren't those women running for selenium? If every girl in this country took 200 micrograms of selenium in one generation, we'd eliminate breast cancer by 82%. That's a big number. Why aren't we doing that? Because medicine in the United States is a for-profit industry, and most people are completely unaware of this, and most people bow down to the altar of MD-directed high-tech medicine at their own demise. That's Dr. Peter Glidden from Minnesota. And I'm not sure whether this study that I found was the same one he was referring to, but this came out in 2004. It was also in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. It was a 14-year study, and it's called The Contribution of Cytotoxic Chemotherapy to Five-Year Survival in Adult Malignancies. And it looked at 22 types of cancers in the United States and Australia, and they studied almost 155,000 people 20 years and older. Now, here are the results. The overall contribution of curative and adjuvant cytotoxic chemotherapy to five-year survival in adults was estimated to be 2.3% in Australia and 2.1% in the United States. The interesting thing is the survival rate uh, for a number of cancers was after five years was absolutely zero. This included pancreatic cancer, soft tissue sarcoma, melanoma of the skin, uterine cancer, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, kidney cancer, and multiple myeloma. The absolute number of the five-year survivors due to chemotherapy in those particular cancers was zero. Now, in Australia, they studied almost 73,000 people, and uh, the absolute number of five-year survivals due to chemotherapy of the 73,000 was 1,700. That's 2.3%. That does it. We uh, thank Barb Philpott uh, for her contribution and her discussion on breast cancer. And uh, congratulations, Barb, on your being cleared of breast cancer. And we'll be back for uh, another edition of Cannabis Health Radio tomorrow. Wherever you are in the world listening to us, we thank you very much, and we appreciate it. And we'll be back again. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on Pod. Connex, and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.